Okay, let's get used to having microphones in front of our faces again. Oh my god. Oh my god. The pressure, the pressure, the pressure. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, the pressure. Okay, let's get started. Welcome to Come Back a Star, colon, a movie history. Yeah. Or a movie award party, movie as award I called party. it last time. There we go. It's a, it's a... We'll try to come up with some, choose your own title as you go. We'll try to come up with a new one every single time. Absolutely. Keep you guys off center. All right. And I'm Jason. I'm Laura. Hi. And on Laura's lap is Odysseus, the movie dog. He has a strange green stain on his head, I'm guessing from grass. He does look ridiculously like the kind of dog that would be in the uh, Little Rascal shorts. Yes, he he does. He's a little rascal guy. He is. Except for not as well behaved. <laughs> Goodness, no. I mean, I'm sure they pumped the dog full of drugs in those shorts. Uh-huh. Like like with the kids. <laughs> like, like with everyone. Like with everyone. Poor Judy. All right. What's the movie we're covering today, Jason? Today we are covering Sunrise. A song of two humans. Which sounds like something aliens would title a <laughs> exactly. movie, but you know what? It, sound, it sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons And thing. I guess we're not too far off since F.W. Murnau, our director, also directed Nosferatu, which featured a real-life vampire, according to legend. Yeah, so you had to clarify this was two humans this time. Two humans, exactly, <laughs> All, that's why. Although it was miscast in that regard, or at least miscostumed, because Janet Gaynor... What was dressed as a small gnome or or halfling throughout? Yes. Yes, she was. That uh whew, that wig. That I don't think the costuming is gonna get too high a score for me on this one. Thanks only to Janet Kanor. <laughs> so we have the wig and also her her little poofy hat. A little poofy hat and her kind of potato sack dress, but they all had potato sack dresses back then. I mean she she still looked adorbs, which was the oh, yeah. the goal there, but it was a little bit too little too David the Gnome mm-hmm. sort of look. Mm-hmm. And as we'll find out, that was all purposeful. So I guess mm-hmm. kudos for achieving what you were going out for, but I think you could have chosen another route there, Murno. But yeah, so Sunrise here. Uh, it's our other Best Picture winner from 1927 alongside Wings, but for different reasons. Yeah, what was the name of the actual award that they gave it? Artistic Quality of Production. I can't remember what the, ty- the oh, specific award was for Wings, but I think that was probably... I think it was like Outstanding Picture. Outstanding Picture. So this was, I mean, this was basically second place, but... They I thought it was more of like an artsy sort of genre or I guess it's kind of like if uh, the Oscars these days did like an Oscar winner for the big crowd pleaser and then one for like the independent mm-hmm. artsy one. And this would be for like the independent art house. one. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, I wouldn't say this isn't a crowd pleaser. Its merits mainly lie in a lot of its technical Artistry. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what saves it, in my opinion, because it was not a big hit, actually. Mm. I think it was old fashioned even for its time. So I think that was really probably what got it. The Oscar was the kind of artistic look to it, because that was kind of uh, 
it was an odd mix of the old fashioned and the new mm-hmm. kind of style, but uh, we'll get into it, I guess. Yeah, let's see. We're going to go through the plot a little bit, but I just want to go ahead and, and say up front, it's it's a not fantastic story, but it is especially not done service by the framing device mm. that kind of I, I recently just kind of rewatched it or at least parts of it. And I appreciated it a lot more the second time around once I kind of ejected the framing device out of my head while watching it. Yeah. <laughs> I could see that. I can see that. I feel like it was wise to use like a simple story. I mm-hmm. feel like if you're going to add like that much artistic detail, if you have a really complex plot, it'll just be two overwhelming things overwhelming oh, each right. other. But I agree with you. The framing device is strange. It's bananas and it kind of sets you up to not like the protagonist. Yeah. From, from the get-go and makes things that would be otherwise kind of sweet scary. Exactly. Um, although we're we're hinting so much at it. Let's uh let's just get into it. Okay, so the framing device of this film, which is it's essentially a rom-com. Mm-hmm. Can it almost without the com. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's rom-com just, wrapped up in a psychological thriller. Kind of. Yeah, it's it's an odd mix. And the psychological thriller part is just what doesn't work for me. It does not. So what this is about is there is a rural couple that they have a farm and they have a little baby. Oh, I keep forgetting there's the baby. Yeah, the baby. The baby seems to exist only to show how homey. Yeah, their their relationship is and how it's, it's kind of like that, that very traditional virtuous uh, you know, a home with with uh, a man and a wife, which is literally the character's names. Yeah. The man and the wife. The man and the wife. They had, okay, it's Ansas, I'm probably mispronouncing that, and Indre were their original names, I guess, in the script. Uh, but I guess at the last minute before he put it out, Murnau decided it would be more universal if they did not have names. Mm-hmm, hmm Yeah, and the establishing shots... Really, you can tell because he says so right at the front about it's a song of two humans that could basically happen anywhere. And we'll go into the framing device that really calls that into question. Mm -hmm. But you can tell it's kind of out of place in time, in a sense. It looks looks like a European village that they live in, in my mind. I'm not super familiar with a... a, rural America of the 1920s is probably not super dissimilar, but yeah, I think it was, you know, purposeful exaggeration, but I think it's true that rural America was still kind of stuck in a more 19th century mentality than Mm. the more, uh, metropolitan, um, urban, uh, America was. So there was that divide. So that does work, I think, but there's still a lot going on. That's questionable (laughs) right and this uh this life that they have should be bucolic Mm -hmm. but first of all the farm isn't doing well so there's some financial strain there and uh what's even worse is that a a lady from the city has come to town and is making a play for the man yep and her actual name in the movie is the woman from the city and uh yeah she's bad news (laughs) yeah 
yeah, according and, to this movie. And here we we see like we you're gonna see in wings and do we have any other examples of this? It, Not so much in painted in the negative. Um and the uh oh what was it called? The uh the racket? Right. Uh there's a really cool sort of brassy dame and Clara Bow she's an all American girl in wings, but she's definitely, you know, more modern and with it than uh, the wife in this. But yeah, this is our our so far only true femme fatale villainous. Right. So she is a femme fatale and there's there's this very distinct country good, city bad. Mm-hmm. And when we are introduced to this femme fatale, she is making herself up, uh, presumably to go after the man. And that is a large portion of her scenes. I noticed when I was rewatching parts of it, even when she's just waiting for the man to appear, she's still checking her mirror and, and preening herself a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I guess caring about your appearance was also looked down upon. You're supposed to be just kind of like the wife in this, who is just naturally Janet Gaynor and, and looks okay. And she's industrious. <laughs> no, no matter what. Whereas yeah. the woman in the city is self-obsessed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's ironic that we have this negative view of the city considering what happens later in the movie. Yes. <laughs> so we see this bucolic life established. We see the femme fatale going out to, you know, su- seduce this poor unwitting the man <laughs> who apparently has no willpower of his own. I'm not sure. Um, he yeah. does seem like an empty vessel and yeah. in a really terrifying way. Yeah. It, it seems like there's very little to him except for rage. Yep. Uh, but, but we'll get into that in a short while. He hears this femme fatale's call or whistle or something like that. And pretty much everyone else, it seems like, in the town hears this, and he goes out right in front of his wife. The to, sirens call. Yeah, and he just leaves. So it's this very not-so-secret rendezvous that they have. And, you know, the wife, of course, doesn't object, but, you know, she weeps solemnly over the baby. You know, a very, you know, the absolute picture of kind of demure, long-suffering wifedom. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) You see the neighbors talking about how it's like, oh, they were so inseparable and in love and and they have a baby and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, let me finish like with the framing device and I'll say what I would have done differently, which I am sure everyone wants to hear about how I would have (laughs) how I would have rectified all of these different movies that we are watching. (laughs) Uh, So they go out. Um, I, I guess just to hang out by the water, which this town is next to and, uh, is not far. I feel like his farm borders the, the river or like, yeah, I mean, it seems to be the, you know, the symbolic and literal, uh, barrier between this bucolic countryside and the city. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they're hanging out. And she's talking about how great the city is. And 
uh, Murnau shows this as she's talking about it with um, some pretty cool shots of like superimposing scenes of the city behind her while she's talking and, and keeping that same kind of lake shot in frame. And uh, she starts dancing around to demonstrate how cool it is. And that looks rather silly. Yeah. Again, uh, it's it's one of those things that I'm sure looked sexy to a 20s audience. But now, yeah, looks looks like she's just kind of nuts. <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit, a little bit. And so the farm's not doing well. She says she tells him, you know, sell the farm and and I'll take you to the city. The city is great. And about that pesky wife of yours, well, she could be drowned. Yep. She she insinuates, and uh, to which he reacts by first trying to kill her by choking her. Yeah, he's so enraged and indignant that she'd suggest that, but... Yeah, well. he, he, like, throttles her until he kind of, like, goes lax and then makes out with her, which... <laughs> I don't know, like, women from the city, A, don't suggest murder, B, get out of this relationship right now, A, he's married, and B, he's also kind of murderous, apparently. And you are too, so I don't know, maybe they're a match made in hell, but... (laughs) I don't know, I mean, he has a hair trigger temper, it seems like. she, yeah. I understand that they kind of have to hasten things along to get the movie going but it it does feel very very dangerous to be around this individual yeah he i'm george o'brien who plays him almost plays him too well because it's like it's too realistic in that the terror of this guy never really goes away Mm-mm. no it it and doesn't it's supposed to but i'm getting ahead of myself yeah there. yeah well that's and that's the framing device the framing device is that this guy is contemplating the murder of his wife. Sweet, sweet little Janet Gaynor in a big golden wig. Yes. Oh, the unfortunate golden wig. Yeah. So we've got that established. He agrees that he's apparently, he agrees he's going to drown his wife. He, we get to see him cut a bundle of of reeds that apparently he's going to sink the boat and then he's going to stay alive because he'll have this bundle of reeds floating to kind right. of paddle himself to shore with. And he tells his wife, hey, yeah, we're going to go on a little picnic and, and go out on the lake. And she's super excited because he's paying attention, paying, to, paying her attention to her again. And it, it's very American tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it does seem sweet, too. This is like my big. One of my big beefs with the framing device is that they could have gotten the same story across without it, without him being murderous. Maybe he's fallen out of love with her and is contemplating leaving her. That would have set up the exact same tone without it being scary. Yeah, maybe have it something like. Well, get her out of the way for a day and I'll see where she keeps the deed to the farm or something. Uh, You can still make it sort of like shifty, but the leap to murder is it's hard to get past in the coming story. Yeah. And it's hard and it's hard for the man to get past because uh, as he is kind of looming over her 
and he's not happy about what he's doing. At least that's what I got from his performance where he's looking very gloomy and depressed. It's a very tense moment and very well filmed and acted. Right. And it's kind of like, well, I got to I got to do this, but I don't want to. And she's there pleading with him. And yeah, because he, she slowly starts to get it mm-hmm. um, and you can see it on her face. I think Janet Gaynor was probably one of the best actresses in silent films. Like she mm-hmm. she she, had, won, she won best actress for this. Yeah. And so I think she had, you know, the kind of sweetness of like a Mary Pickford, but with like the depth of like a Lillian Gish. So she had that all in her face of this realization and it isn't even heartbreak yet. It's more just this creature's going to kill me. It's more of like an animal mm-hmm. preservation, that kind of fright. Yeah. And it's it truly is terrifying. They both do a really good job. And it's, again, that's one of the tough things about this movie is that the story does not coalesce super well, but it is shot and acted so well that in a different context i would have loved that mm-hmm. scene but in this context and how the movie follows it just it feels weird yeah and out of place yeah after they have this confrontation and the man does not murder his wife he rows quickly to shore and as soon as they hit the shore she very wisely takes off running takes off like a shot yeah yeah which I appreciated. Yeah. There was no like weeping and oh no, what what will we do? She just starts running away. Yeah, again, and it's very realistic because if someone almost kills you, I think it does tap into a part of you where it's not like, oh, beloved husband, how could you? It's more of a, I need to get out of here. Who are you, basically? Yeah, yeah I and- mean, I think that was it. And I think seeing that in her face really brings him down because I think, you know, all this time, he's seen his wife, seen the love in her face. And when he sees that leave and sees the pure, just kind of animal terror there, I think that's probably what brings him down. Or like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. what was I about to do? Yeah, he tries to chase her down. And I think at one point, don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of me. Yeah, yeah. He says, don't be afraid of me as he gets close to her. As and he chases her. <laughs> as he chases her. And I think he, she tumbles at least a couple of times. He. I think tumbles when he says that and she just keeps going. Yeah, she is little, but fast. Yes. I, I, I looked it up when I was going to, when I was thinking she's not a human, she's clearly a halfling or something like that. <laughs> she, she's five feet tall. Uh, yeah. I mean, perfect so, so size. about my mom's height. <laughs> uh, anyways, that's neither here nor there, but, yeah, she on on her little legs just outpaces him easily and hops aboard a, a trolley that is passing through this wooded area, which would seem strange, but the town where you grew up in, which is not, I mean, it's not rural, but it went through some rural areas. You used oh, to have absolutely. a streetcar between the town and Tacoma. Yep. So I guess back in the day, they just had streetcars going all over the place, which is, I don't know, pretty cool. Yeah, I kind of wish we'd bring that sort of public transportation back. But this but we is, have cars now. We have cars. Oh, God. <laughs> so 
anyways, horseless carriages. Horseless <laughs> carriages go going, uh, taking us to cities when we could have romantic rides and trolleys after our loved one tries to kill us. Yeah, so she she gets on that trolley. He barely catches onto the trolley and uh, sits next to her and tries to get her to stop crying. He's holding her and everything like that. Nice little commentary on society in that this is a crowded trolley and they see this woman terrified and then being loomed over by this man who scares her. Yeah. And nobody does anything. Yeah, ain't my place. I got crops to worry about. Oh, man. But they are going into the city on this trolley, which is kind of an interesting twist. Yeah, um, yeah. After it is. after the city was touted as this like fantastical place uh, by the the woman from the city, they get there and it actually turns out to be pretty awesome. Yeah, and I wonder if the commentary is that it's okay to like leave your rural area and join the city as long as you bring your values with you to make it a better place. So that could be what Myrna's going for. But yeah, that and it's just suddenly becomes this tonal shift of her slowly being courted by him again. Right, right. It Well, and it starts off rocky. He uh, hustles her into like a sandwich shop and then gets her some flowers, um, which very, very man things to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean. Oh, you're upset. Like, uh, have you have cake. A, you have, do you guys have a like a some kind of sympathy card for almost killing your wife and then changing your mind? Like, it's 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 that kind of thing. But I mean, it's there are a lot of what follows. Really, is not so much a plot as like a series of episodes of her slowly learning to trust him again and them kind of falling in love again in the backdrop of the city and trying these new fangled city things. Yeah. It's like a series of, of very well done vignettes mm-hmm. and it, it kicks off with them witnessing a wedding in a church that yes. they, that they just see. Yeah. That's the big one. I think, cause that's what I think, you know, there's the initial panic of, Oh my God, I almost just murdered my wife, but the full weight, you know, then he's concerned with catching up to her and getting her to calm down. And it's there. I feel like that if the full weight of it comes down on him of what mm-hmm. he almost did, because, I mean, there's the uh, perfectly pat example of the preacher saying, you know, you're supposed to protect this woman. And all of Right. That. Right. And he he begs her to forgive him. And uh, I guess eventually she does. Being a sappy dame, she does. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's a very sappy at that point. I mean, it's but... touching, but yeah, very <sighs> contrived. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Um, Again, that, very well acted by Gaynor and O'Brien. So, I mean, mm-hmm. they just get away with it. Yeah. And they also kind of uh, bomb these other people's wedding because it's them coming down the steps. As, yes, as, yeah. And everyone, I mean, obviously the... There's a little the, comic reaction afterwards. Right. Because uh, everyone thinks when they walk out of the church, and, oh, that must be the bride and groom. And so they all throw their, uh, you know, confetti. Right. at them so it's like they've but again a very symbolic you know spiritually they've they've married each other again because they're husband and wife again mm-hmm. yeah and Murnau manages the tonal shift with during the chase there's all these frantic shots and they're fast mm-hmm. and when you first come into the city 
a lot of the city sh- shots are just amazing. Yeah. And just this bustling town, how he got these different shots from different angles and things like that. Then what happens, it feels uh, very uh, frantic. Yeah. Because I mean, when, these when are, she yeah. first comes in running. <laughs> I, you really get the sense of how like rural folks must have felt like, you know, people in Kansas or Dust Bowl areas when they go to like a big city for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's like a whole other world, probably. And I feel like that's kind of condescending to like Midwest folks. Obviously, that's not the case now. But back in 1927, I think there was a lot of. Oh, that. yeah. Like that. Your community is what you knew. Yeah, exactly. And so you get that. Everything seems very big, very overwhelming. Right. But and it's only by sticking together that they learn to enjoy it. Yeah. And as they as they exit this church, kind of as the the newly remarried couple, in a sense, Murnau has all of these bustling cars and the, the buildings and everything like that transform into again this bucolic forested area that is kind of like they're in a dream yes which then gets suddenly interrupted because they're stopping traffic because they have <laughs> wandered out into the middle of the road there are some really good comic touches throughout because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're still kind of oblivious and everyone is like hey yeah i have to say that it's not always common for uh a movie from this era to have comic bits that work that are kind of nudging like Mm -hmm. and it's sort of winking Mm -hmm. yeah i appreciated them yeah it it was good it wasn't overdone yeah yeah there was no uh what's his face brindle from uh wings to like oh no do his vaudeville shtick yeah i mean there was a guy on a bicycle who doesn't stop in time and flies into a truck but that was the only like slapstick that I can remember. And, and, hey, and, I love, frank, and frankly, it was pretty funny. Yeah, I love my slapstick if it's done right. Right. If you're lazy with it, no thanks. Ah, and then it just what really follows are like the vignettes. Um, the one that really sticks in my mind was the one you were just rewatching because, again, it's something that goes unaddressed about the man's character, which is this dark side to him mm-hmm. where he uh, decides to get a shave. Right. And, um, and she sits and waits for him and this this creep kind of sits by her and starts putting the moves on her and the husband sees this in a very creepy way as well like there there are no good men almost in this entire movie <laughs> nope like the, like the barber is the closest thing that you get yeah and uh so and i think you know i feel like where Renault was going with this was again to be a little comical, like, oh, now the man's jealous. <laughs> but and but I feel like the way to have done that would have been him like, you know, go up, go, hey, you leave my wife alone. And then they storm out. But instead, you know, he like the man comes and kind of says, I'll wait for you. Uh, wait for me outside, hon. And then pulls a knife on the guy. <laughs> and it's very intense. He's got that intensity. Yeah. He steps on his foot, mm-hmm. leans in, pulls out a pocket knife. This guy is terrified. Yeah. And he jumps towards his lapel to cut off this guy's uh, lapel flower. That's right. Which, which he had stolen from the wife. <laughs> the The other guy's not great, too. No, I mean, I'm not so worried about him. But I think 
again, O'Brien's acting is very intense. And given that he almost did kill his wife, it does not. And and his lover, too. Remember, he starts off oh, choking, yeah, choking her. So he's you get the sense that he's a real, real loose cannon and that no one's really safe with him. Yeah. And the thing is, again, going back to the framing device, if we didn't have the framing device of him planning to murder somebody or him trying to strangle somebody in the first couple of scenes. That moment would have almost been like a cheering moment Mm -hmm. in that's like, well, it's a movie. Obviously he's acting a little bit more extreme than someone really should, but it would be great if like, maybe he was, you know, had fallen out of love, but now he's back again. And he's, he's so in love that he's going to like really terrify this, this guy who was a real jerk. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we were supposed to get out of it. But but we know there's a darkness in the sky, so yeah. it just reads completely differently, mm-hmm. and it's never properly addressed. But from there, I mean, I it's so episodic that I can't really remember what happens until they leave the city. I think it really is a lot of them just because I think they've had the farm and the kid. They haven't had a chance to really play together in yes. a long time. They, I, uh, yeah, they get their pictures taken. That's right. And while they're at the photographers, this photographer has different elements that you can add to your your photo portrait and everything like that. And so they're just kind of going around playing with the different various objects that he has to add to the photos while he's in the back room. And uh, and the photographer just happens to take a very, you know, sweet, candid of them as well. While he's in the other room, they happen to be playing around a little too rough with, like, I think a statue of some kind. Yeah. And again, yeah. that's They where knock this, it over. It's so weird. It is like kind of like a sort of Cary Grant kind of Catherine Hepburn mm-hmm. bringing up baby comedy in the middle of this very kind of real marital horror story. Yeah. I really, really wish that they had just gone with, with the rom-com part of it. I mean, I think that there was there was probably this attempt to just Murnau wanted to tell this very just this symbolic story. Mm-hmm. And uh he really wanted to like, you know, get to the drama of it, but also show that to fall in love you also have to play together. Mm-hmm. And so it was this very weird mix that is held together by this gorgeous artistic style. Right. Right. That right. It's, it really does become kind of dreamlike. Like you can have a dream that starts out really terrifying, but then goes into this kind of funny groove and then kind of comes right. back. If there's, but the sense of unease maybe doesn't go away. Yeah. I never really thought of it that way, but you're right. Maybe Murno just couldn't handle not having anything grim. I, yeah. Yeah. I think it was, because this was his first American picture, I think, right? Um, I don't know if he confirmed that or not. But because I think, you know, American audiences or directors have always assumed that American audiences want a concrete story with a concrete characters with a concrete lesson. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it was him trying to kind of do that, like mix the folksy with a concrete moral that we should all learn. and. It, 
Well, I mean. Yeah, it just sort of spirals. Actually, I mean, I think he was fairly heavy handed again. And I don't think he wrote all of these scripts either. No, it doesn't sound like he it. directed quite a few movies with very heavy handed moral dictates. I mean, that's like, really there wasn't a lot of subtlety in uh, <laughs> silent movies that back then. I mean, there's only so much subtlety you can convey without mm-hmm. words. You know? Right, right. And with title cards. Apparently he did not like using title cards. So as the movie progresses, you'll notice that there's less and less of them. Yeah, it starts off with a whole lot of them. (laughs) Yeah, to introduce the characters and the setup and everything. But then, yeah, once I think it goes into the city, it's just more of a montage, really. And what's funny is that the, the inner titles, their font is this kind of grim looking paint. Yeah, yeah. To begin with, it's like, so is this a horror film? I'm not entirely sure. It is Murnau, so is is the man going to turn out to be a vampire all along? <laughs> I don't know. He did that but, in the last movie. This he, this guy's a werewolf, obviously. <laughs> well, and we do get little uh, callbacks throughout. We see the woman from the city putting on that makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, preparing to try to sell the farm or whatever. Because I think this the whole thing is it must be the wife's farm and the only way she can get the money from the farm is if the is if the wife dies. Because I guess right. if they divorce, then she'd probably get the farm. I don't know. Uh, it's never fully explained because I don't think Murno really thinks that's important. In fact, it's what, you know, Hitchcock would call a MacGuffin. It's a what the plot hinges on, but no one really cares about it. It's more about what that caused the action that, that stems from that. But yeah, I mean that we, we have little shots of the wife of the woman from the city to remind us that, you know, they're not safe. There is still this woman. There is still, they're going to have to go back and confront their, their lives. Right. And she's, you know, she's wearing makeup and everything like that. She's wearing makeup, like some kind of harlot. Yeah. Oh, and that reminds me, going quickly back to the barbershop scene, they originally tried to get her to oh. get, a, get a haircut and get, you know, pampered as well. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm fine with my wig. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, and again, it's funny acting from Gaynor. She's like, no, don't take off my hat and all of that stuff. So, yeah. But see, just the, there's that dichotomy mm-hmm. of good country. Simple values. Simple values is not going to go to the beauty shop and and get all gussied up or anything like that. And then you contrast that with the woman from the city who seriously, about 80% of the time she's on screen, she's looking into a mirror doing something. Again, yeah, it's. This movie has an issue with women that we will. Really? (laughs) Believe it or not. Yes. A very complicated relationship with them. Um. (laughs) But uh, then they prepare to go home. They do, but I, I can't. I, I can't pass up the pig scene. Oh, remind me of the pig scene because it has been a while since <laughs> I've seen it. Now, what 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 causes the pig scene? Let's go straight into it. I wish Odysseus oh. was here because he kind of looks like a pig. He could help us out. Oh gosh, now I'm trying to remember all the details. Uh, they are at some sort of fancy function, and I think. Was it a carnival or something like yeah, that? Yeah, did he win the pig for her or something? I think 
I think the pig was part of a carnival game and it had gotten out. And so we have this wild pig running around um, the fairgrounds and eventually into this kind of very fancy looking uh, dance area. And there are people who are clearly from the city and they don't know what to do because there's a pig. But but the man, he's from the country and he knows what to do. And so he he chases down this pig. And what's uh, what's also kind of nice is that all of all of these city folk are are charmed by this and they're kind of giving him congratulations sincerely and everything like that. And then they do kind of like a country style dance. Yes, that's in, right. Kind of in in their honor. So they're kind of guests of honor for uh, for the evening. They end up having to pay the bill. But yeah, I think at they, the end, they kind of motor out of there after that, right? A little dine and dash. Yeah, a little bit of a dine and dash situation. Once they've enjoyed this, you know, height of decadence of the city, they uh, they bail and get on their boat to, uh, you know, inconsequentially. I'm trying to remember what that word would be. Without uh, consequence. Okay. They they get into their boat so they can sail home without consequence or row home and uh, sail right into a big wave of irony. Yeah, there's a big storm. There's a big storm. Believe it or not. And uh, it looks like his plan might accidentally work. The, mm-hmm. the money he hatched up with the woman from the city. And of course, he's in despair over that. Yeah, he very heroically takes out the bundle of reeds that he was going to use as a flotation device to get back to shore. And he ties them around her. Yep. Then they are knocked clear of the boat. They're both in the water. He swims for shore. He can't find her. And the town goes out to look for her and their boats. And after a while, they just kind of give up. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't sound like they had a very organized police force or any kind of like, uh, I think it's just villagers. I think it's just villagers because again, this is kind of in the Shire. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, um, and so then the woman from the city, of course, uh, you know, cat walks back in and thinks that, okay, everything's according to plan. He did it. She's like, ah, oh, yes. Excellent. She needs and yeah, the handlebar mustache. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, and of course, he, the man is distraught because he had this amazing day with his wife. Fell in he, love with her again, again, basically married her again. Remind, and, and they got to play together and it was wonderful and bucolic. And now. And now she's actually gone. And the woman from the city kind of comes up to him and kind of gives him like the thumbs up. And she's expecting everything to be great. Yeah, a supportive girlfriend. What thanks does she get? <laughs> yeah, he tries to strangle her again. Yeah, uh, I mean, that seems to be their their love language, I guess. Uh, but this time he stops because someone says, hey, hey, look, we found her, actually. She's not dead. We shouldn't have given up after a few minutes. <laughs> she probably had to, like, crawl out and, like, yell. And they're like, well, some, I feel like I could still hear her in the breeze. I'm right here! But yeah, they... they um, so, yeah, and uh, <laughs> there we go, basically. The yeah. woman from the city is just kind of ran off, 
and he embraces his perfect little doll wife and uh and no one is charged with attempted murder at all yeah so let's get into this let's examine this um are you gonna put him on trial yeah (sighs) three counts of attempted murder or at least assault yeah um i think what it comes down to is a sort of sexism that tries to elevate women in a way. When mm. I was in college, um, my English teacher, professor, uh, you know, talked to us a lot about the cult of domesticity, which, uh, you know, was kind of spearheaded by Queen Victoria uh, back when, you know, women started going, hey, can we vote? Can we have these rights? And it was instead like, guys, look. You're obviously superior to men morally. So to comfort men and make them better, you have to live up to this ideal we have set for you. If you try to step out Mm. of that and start acting like a man, you are going to sully yourself and sully the man. And it was but it was, you know, all this propaganda to just try to get women to be happy in this sort of subjugated role. Right. And I think that's basically what Murnau is saying. Like you were talking about the Madonna horror complex earlier. Mm -hmm. The Madonna is the good wife. The whore is the woman from the city with her obsession with makeup, with her scheming. She's the, even though, you know, he tries to strangle her, she is psychologically the aggressor. You know, all his motivation is from this cunning woman who thinks for herself. And it's only when he sees how meek and helpless his wife is that he remembers his proper role as her protector. And uh, that's a good point. And so I think it's, you know, trying to elevate women. You are morally better than man. So you have to be morally better by being. An angel without any kind of agency, which is so weird, because if we're better, why aren't we more in charge of things? (laughs) Well, it's it's that weird thing where uh, women are in charge of things. But. But men have to take the credit for it almost. Yeah. Because the man is not in the story, he has no agency himself. He's basically just a blank slate. Yes. Yes. For, that's a great way for of this him. for this evil woman to to ride on. And he's presented as having no will of his own, apparently. Yeah. None. And he relents from trying to murder his wife because his wife cowers in front of him and then he remembers what he's supposed to do. And Duh. It, oh, right. Me protector. Exactly. And I think it fits. Exi- you you hit it the nail on the head with pointing out that it's kind of this idea that, all right, women, be submissive so you can have the power of making a man better, making a man better. Yeah, that's what we're supposed to because do. Because on their own, maybe this wasn't even intentional, but. In this movie, the only time you really see the man act out of his own thought process is for violence. Yeah. He snaps and tries to strangle his girlfriend. He is very slow and doesn't murder his wife. So that's a little bit of a different situation. But then we fast forward and we get to the barber scene. 
his wife is not trying to get him to intimidate this other guy. No. She she's ready to go. I mean, this guy is a creep and it, it was unpleasant for her. But his this is again like one of the few times where you see him actually have a thought and do something. And it's, it's peacocking, basically. Yeah, and and it's violent. Yeah, it's and it's pulling a knife on somebody. I mean, it's a dog peeing on a tree in front of another dog. Oh man. It is. And I this think is, this is a rich tapestry that we've unfolded. And, here. It, and I think it really gets to the heart of the matter, which is if women are so morally above it all, why are you treating them like the tree you're pissing on? Mm. Like it's that kind of it's it's not respect. And I think that that's the whole lie. We tell women that they need to be better because men really think they're not. And like, oh, they've got these big lofty ideas in their heads now. We got to make them like, like feel like a big girl just mm. so we can get them back in their place. And I think yeah. that's really it. And I think maybe it's easy to see taking the qualities of the woman in the city and taking the qualities of the wife and turning them into one person who would be a fully fleshed individual. Being. Yeah. That would, I think, really scare a man like the husband. Because apparently, you know, you can't comprehend both. Apparently, you can't comprehend that a woman who wears makeup and dances like a nutball should also <laughs> have like a heart and humanity. Oh, uh, yeah. She's she's barely there. No, I the mean, she's a presenter. total viper. And I mean, there's also She's also supposed to symbolize, I think, the bad parts of the city, the bad parts of modern life mm -hmm. that Murnau sees. Um, and that's it. That's her character. I mean, it's not even a character. It's an archetype. I mean, at least with the man and the wife, we spend enough time with them that we can see different shades. We can see them doing funny things together and falling in love. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's because they've returned to their proper roles. That they can have yeah, a little more freedom that's a good together. Point. That's a good point. So it's, it's, and, it's kind of messed up. Yeah, it's it is super messed up because it is it, again. It it also makes it it gives all responsibility to these women. Mm -hmm. You gotta and, forgive, but but not but not any of the respect that should come with it. Exactly, exactly. I I, I mean, the man is basically. It depends on who's piloting him at the time. Yes, because he, if the he, women are these tiny little, tiny little mech pilots that jump in his head <laughs> and and like get him to be a good or a bad person. And he has like. Zero capability of doing this for himself at all. Well, yeah, if she hadn't almost died on the way back. We could easily see him just falling under the woman from the city spell again. Well, once yeah. she, once he sees her, because you know, out of sight, out of mind, and uh, are we sure he has object permanence? I don't think so. And again, it's you know, I think it's very purposeful that he's this blank slate because woman, it takes you to give him a soul. Mm. But once he has it, you have to do what he says, <laughs> and it's it's very strange. It was very, it, and it, I feel like that this was not a big hit. And a lot of, you know, the blame for that lies with the fact that like a month before it was released, uh, the jazz singer came out the first oh, with, right. like, you know, the first with a scene of someone talking. But I think it's more than that. I think that this is old fashioned and uh, and kind of outdated even for 1927. 
um, because we had Clara Bow around that time. Right. And we had like flappers and society did not collapse. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they could still have, you know, fun relationships. They could still be deep people. And so this kind of hammering away that, no, you can only be a good woman if you act exactly like the wife. It, I think it just totally missed the mark with audiences. And I think, you know, and I think probably also, I think audiences have always been as shallow as, uh, you know, we are now. Like we, 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 I think I'm sure the really artsy style, you know, was more appropriate in Europe, maybe more appreciated. Whereas, you know, we wanted something more like the jazz scene. We wanted something a little zippier that had more action, probably. Right. I mean, that's why, you know, I think Wings was a, such a huge hit. Yeah, I think the cinematography in this movie is definitely the only reason why we're still talking about it right now. Yeah. Uh, and was the only thing that made this come alive. Yes, yes. If it, if it had been shot in a boring way, no, no one would care. No, no. And, and it's, it's so strange that it was so progressive in that cinematography, in this artistic field, and yet had such an old-fashioned message to it. That mm-hmm. was that's kind of a letdown, frankly. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at something like Metropolis by Lang that was in this kind of kind of had the same thing of uh, this peaceful woman will unite the men to who will then get the work done. But there was still enough of a progressive message in there that they got away with it more along with the amazing mm-hmm. cinematography. Whereas this was just, I mean, again, try to, I think pander almost to an American audience too much. And maybe they, yeah, they I can sensed a bit of I a condescension to it since it was almost the man and the wife were almost over the top folksy. <laughs> I mean, it was, they, they were yeah. like a Europeans idealized kind of vision of folksy rural folks, folksy rural folks in America at that time. But um, yeah, speaking of those super uh, in, superimpositions, why can't I talk um, that you were talking about with the camera? I'll read this directly from IMDb because I couldn't really explain it in my in um, in my own way because I don't understand things good. But apparently, quote, many of the superimpositions throughout the film were created in the camera, which was in scare quotes. The camera would shoot one image at the side of the frame, blacking out the rest of the shot, then expose the film. They would put the exposed film back in the camera and shoot again, blocking out the area that already had an image on it. So that so oh. really kind of cool, creative ways of doing that. And I think that's, you know, a lot of the directors um, today and back then and forever, really, were maybe more style over substance. And I think Murnau was probably one of them. I am. Um, was rewatching. So. I was rewatching uh, *Suspiria*, the uh, Dario Argento film from the '70s, one of the most famous uh, giallo. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, horror films from back then, and he had was probably one of the best directors visually ever. His shots were just incredible, but the stories were definitely came second. Right, and I think that's. Um, 
I feel like American audiences have always been just a little more story driven than particularly style. Yeah, I can see that. And that actually kind of gets into our categories. Should we go into that? Sure. Let's do it. Do you have the list of them? No, I never do. Sorry. All right. I'm just going to have to pause this for a moment. Cutting right here. And we're back. Hello. Okay, so that kind of goes back into our categories, talking about cinematography versus writing versus acting. Mm -hmm. So let's get started. Do it. Let's do it. Our first category is acting, which we're rating on one through 10. And this is how well Janet and Charles O'Brien. Charles O'Brien acted through the lackluster story. Yep. I guess we could throw <laughs> Margaret Livingston in there as the woman from the city since she's the only other character, really. Right. And, um, There's the creepy guy and the barber. I mean, yeah, there are little characters throughout. And they're, I wouldn't say their performances really added or detracted. They were just you know, yeah. there. I mean, it really was a vehicle for O'Brien and Gaynor. Right, and right. I think they really did amazing. Um, so I'm going to go nine. I think nine? I'm, yeah, I think, I don't know why I'm leaving the one point off. Maybe just, uh, you know, I'm so exuberant. I'm trying to like just be more, uh, you know, uh, detached. But I guess maybe just because. There might be performances better. Maybe that. And also maybe with O'Brien, he just, he maybe just was a little too realistic. In the kind of psychopath role, it was it was a little <laughs> like hard to just forget and try and lose myself in the story, just knowing that this guy had this darkness in him. But overall, I thought they were both fantastic. They brought humanity to this story, which was largely just allegorical. She she definitely deserved her best actress. Yes. And I, I guess we have to put in the caveat back then you did not. You could get a Best Actress or Best Actor award based off of a body of work. It didn't have to be attached to a specific performance. What do you think of that? Like, I don't know. It's, hmm. I think, I think it's probably better the way it is now just because you can have a terrible performance one year. Yeah, and not have it held against you. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, it's it's kind of cool to think that you know, here's an example of their versatility. She can play this type of character, but also play this other type of character. But I feel like just to streamline it, because like what yeah. if somebody, you know, doesn't act for five years, but then just gives this great performance. Right. You know, it's is it it's kind of unfair to not include them just because they have that one performance in like recent memory. So, yeah, no, I'm giving it a nine. How about you? What do you grade it? You know, I want to give, I think I'm going to give them a nine for exactly the same reasons that you cited. And I'm docking a point. A, because I want room in case there's uh, some absolutely out of the park performances. And also, I think you're right. It was tough. I mean, he, Brian was working with what he had, but. His being a scary man was so effective that it kind of 
colored the rest of yes. their performance. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was, was very the convincing. Most, I would say his his and the woman from the city were probably tied as the most thankless roles because mm-hmm. they're just he was just this empty vessel who was only ever reactive. Yeah, he's he's the mech. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so good on so, them for making them human. <laughs> yeah, so not at all a song of two humans. A song it, of a human woman and her empty vessel that she fills with her love. <laughs> What's our next category? Our next category is the writing, which would be the story, which would be as we've kind of harped on and on and on about lackluster. And this is out of 10 too? Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to be kind of brutal and give it a 5. A 5? Five? 5 is average. 5, yeah. Uh maybe a 4 actually. I think I'll give it a 4. I it's a little below average to me. I get that that's purposeful. He was going for the allegory. This is a universal story, but it's not. Yeah, I, I, like, I mean, at least I hope so. I hope most <laughs> couples don't secretly plan to kill the other and just it's just a random change of mind that sets them back on the right course. Every day there's someone out there about to murder their, their spouse. And, and I, then they're like, hey, yeah. you know what? Let's go on a nice date instead. Exactly. So, yeah, it was not the story was the weak link here by by far. I am going to be even more brutal. Oh, gosh, but there are some really, really bad ones out there that we're going to encounter. True, but. Mm. Not to be too matchy, but I think I'm going to go ahead with you on a four. four. I was about to give them like a two or three. And then I recalled that we have some movies that we're going to encounter during this project that are truly bad. Yes. This and, this yeah. one was just. It just didn't quite work. No, it was just tonally off. And it did have a pig chase. So and we it did do have, have a pig to, chase, yes. The, the extra point to get it a fourth is all the pig chase. All right. So kudos to whoever had that idea to put a pig chase in there. If ever, you know, this is a good tip to young up-and-coming filmmakers. Are you in a tough spot in your writing? Consider a pig chase. Yeah. It's, it's good for everyone, especially the audience. Oh, yeah. And it's great, you know. Actors love having to chase down a pig. I mean, there's actors have it pretty easy. Do not use stunt actors. Make them chase that pig. Or stunt pigs. Or stunt pigs. Go find some random pig and let it loose on the set. See what happens. See what happens, you Keep know. Keep those cameras rolling. We need a little more realism. We need don't script it. Don't tell the actors beforehand. Throw that pig into the mix and just let it go from there. It's the pig's movie now. It's the pig's movie. Big Pig in a little movie. <laughs> the Babe sequel that we never saw because modern audiences were like, wait, this guy almost killed his wife? So that whole sequel was was can was panned. That was weird. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird. What's the next category? Cinematography. Okay. On, well. On to something that it will excel in. I'm going to go ahead. Give that. A 10. I was going to do the exact same thing, which oh. I don't anticipate. This is weird that we're being so samey. Well, uh, it's because it is such a movie of such absolutes that it's kind of hard not to. Um, the story comes absolutely second to the art. Yeah, the story 
the story almost boosts the cinematography score because it's like this is an engaging beautiful movie despite the story being below average again it is kind of like this eerie dreamlike quality where you could start extrapolating and seeing things that aren't there like did he kill her and is this kind of her heaven maybe Mm -hmm. um is like is this all in his head it's got that weird quality because it is so strange the story this man almost killed his wife and now they're having a romantic comedy and all that really keeps it together is this eerie, beautiful cinematography, the, right. the superimposed images, the weird, the fact that it's almost like Dorothy leaving Kansas to go to the Emerald City kind of right. feel that's just very strange, but powerful, I think. Right. And framing like very large bustling shots yeah. is not was not easy back then oh, and no. pulled it off really well. And it would be quite a few years till we saw it again, probably because like I said, with wings, with the advent of sound, it was more about getting the sound. So it was just sound stages. It was more like filmed plays again. Right. Right. So it would be a while before we saw this kind of artistry, I think on screen again. But, um, all right. So we are 10 and 10 on cinematography. And our very last, our very last one through ten category is overall. In other words, how do the acting, writing, and cinematography work together? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> You go first this time. I'm always there. Yeah, I'm. Well, you go first. I'm always. uh, I'm always going first on these. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you the chance to buy me time. See, I'm wavering between a seven and an eight. I'm gonna be a little unkinder, I think, than you. I'm gonna go. Well, because the acting and the cinematography do elevate it. I think so. So so much. I I mean, and again, that's. That's a testament to how good the acting cinematography is because the story is so silly. Yeah. But Although it, the story can be sweet at times. It's it not, is. But it's it, not the world's worst. I mean, sometimes you do have to look at how it was rece- received at the time. And I think it's lukewarm reception by audiences proves that even by the standards of its time, people were probably like, what? So I'm mm. going gonna, gonna to maybe give it a... I'm going to give it a six, I think. Okay. I'll go with seven. Six, seven. All right. Okay. And are we ready for bonus rounds? Let's do the bonus rounds. Bonus round. That sounded like Beethoven. You'll get the bullhorn sound. (laughs) Again with the Beethoven. (laughs) The, The Beethoven bullhorn that'll be our signature we'll get a recording of beethoven we'll just use that there we go okay uh sets and costumes <laughs> i mean well we already mentioned the wig yeah the wig is gonna detract so apparently and again this plays into the weird madonna horror complex that i think really kind of sours the movie a lot in mm-hmm. my mind is that you know the blonde wig doesn't look right, and but it's purposeful 
to because Murnau wanted to make Gaynor less sexy. He wanted to make her almost like a little kid, like a little doll, something that you oh. loved in your youth, but you know, you feel like is too childish for you now, but you have to learn to appreciate her again. And I feel like it's just it doesn't sit right. Yeah, it her whole getup. Yeah, and this is this is a bonus round where we award bonus points. And I feel like in order to get a bonus point in this round, you have to kind of go above and beyond and have it work. Yeah. And nothing feels terribly above and beyond. I mean, like the sets maybe were good. I mean, but was it really the sets or just the way everything was filmed? Mm-hmm. It's hard to separate that sometimes. So, I mean, it was all filmed beautifully. Everything was framed beautifully. Mm-hmm. But were the actual sets all that amazing to make up for? I mean, maybe during the storm scene. I guess I'll give it a one for like the storm scene was well filmed. I think they used good setting for that to make that seem pretty as realistic yeah, the props, as it could. The bundle of reeds and everything like that was... Uh, really a bizarre prop to work with. Yeah. So. I want to give them a point pretty much for all of that and the trolley. Yeah. I mean, very little I like the trolley. So one for both of us? Yeah. Okay. All right. So. All right. Boldness. (laughs) Well, it depends on your definition of boldness. Because I think. It's objectively pretty bold to frame your nice little marital love story with an attempted murder of the wife. Yeah, like that would be bold if it wasn't clearly clumsiness. Yeah, if it wasn't a clumsy attempt at an allegory for marital love. So it's it it didn't work. I'm not giving it anything for boldness. No, it was very. It would have been bolder to have like. I don't know, the woman in the city maybe have a change of heart. You know, and maybe yeah. There's nothing that really was a big twist or anything no. like that. I'll I'll give it one for the pig. The pig, yeah. I mean, the pig because is that could that could have they could have gone very poorly, but they took a chance on the pig. I mean, it was bold to suddenly throw a bunch of good comedic bits, but I feel like it was to distract from the idea that they didn't know how to reconcile mm-hmm. the fact that they had the hero try to kill the heroine. <laughs> so okay. so here's a pig. So here's a pig. So one overall for boldness. Sounds sounds about right. All right. Longevity. How well does it stand up over time? Well, I feel like there's two schools of thought here. I think most modern audiences would not care for it too much because of the issues that we have pointed out. However, I think there's a school of art school film school lovers mm-hmm. who would just be very impressed by the way it was filmed it does show up on on a couple of top 100 lists so yeah can i give it a 2.5 sure why not i'll give it a 2.5 for longevity just because, you know, I, I guess I'm a masochist and want to make the math really hard for myself by throwing a decimal. <laughs> I am going to go ahead and give it. Um, does it stand up? 
I think the cute parts of it do. Yeah, yeah. And you you see elements in terms of the cinematography in later movies, obviously. Especially considering how poorly done a lot of slapstick was back mm-hmm. in back in those times till right. now. They they handled it pretty gracefully. So I get that. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of tropes that were introduced in this movie that are used by romantic comedies now. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I'm going to go ahead and give it. I'm going to give it three bonus points on that. Three bonus. I was originally going to go with two, but then I bumped up three. Okay. And again, don't lie. The pig has a lot to do with it. Oh, yeah. The pig is crucial. Oh, yeah. Like this guy. I think after that, they learned that the pig scene is hit or miss. <laughs> we we uh, That's another podcast series we'll do. Pigs in film. Does it work? Does it not? Our pig thesis. All right. And our last chance for bonus points. Legacy. One through five bonus points. Hmm. What are your thoughts? Uh, see, this is where legacy and longevity overlap. Each yeah, other. yeah. Um, That's why I sneakily asked you to go first. I want to. I want to hear what you think about what legacy means in this context. I think what hurts this movie in terms of legacy is that it comes at the end of an age. Yes, it yes. comes at the end, like you pointed out earlier, of the silent era and. It does end it with a with a nice end for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. The cinematography in this movie is amazingly good. Yes. It deserves to be Beautiful. on on some top movie lists. Dep- yeah. Depending on what you're looking for. I mean, I definitely recommend this. I mean, you know, cuz it's fascinating to watch for its faults, for its beauty. I mean, I think it's definitely worth a watch. And uh, so I. In terms of legacy, though, what? I mean, I think it. Yeah, because. Right away, it obviously didn't make much of a splash. You know, it was an art form, you know, very European style that really did not return, I think, till around the time of like film Mm -hmm. noir, when people started to think more about camera shots and Mm -hmm. how the cinematography cinematography could really add to a mood i mean of course there were always going to be movies like a lot of the my beloved universal horror movies back then and you know then citizen kane kind of were you know movies that took that to heart and i think were that in that way like murnau is influential but was he as influential as like fritz lang was i mean it's hard to say i think i don't know i think I'm going to be pretty kind in this category. I think I'm going to, because legacies, you know, they don't develop all at once. I think they build over time, which again might be sort of skirting the line between that and longevity. I think I'm going to give it a four. Really? Yeah, I think so. I don't know how I feel about that really, but I think that's what I'm going for now. Might as well follow the gut. Yeah, I originally was going to give it a one because it was at the end of an era. Yeah. But now that you're bringing up kind of like the film noir and how people were probably going back and watching these things, uh, 
and some of the biggest you, movies you in you, history were not hits at the time did not make much of a cultural impact at the time it had to build yeah you can't have cinematography that good and not and not inspire others yeah further down the line so even though his legacy may not have been immediate i think you're right he probably had a big influence on on uh movies that were liberated once we mastered sound technology and could mm -hmm. actually be a little bit more creative with shots again exactly um i'm gonna give it three bonus points for that three bonus points okay so are we gonna total these up we're gonna total these up during this time when you do the editing you'll obviously have a a cute little cartoon short or something, right? For the, oh, yeah. For the people. 74.5. Can't be right. Well, it's not like a grade, exactly. Um, it's not like a grade. And remember, way I'm thinking about it is that five is average. Okay. Which, I mean, 50 isn't average when you think about a school. But what was it, 80 last time? Yeah, for, I think, wings, so... And 74.5 for this one. Although you got a different number. I got 73, but I could have just misread one of the numbers. Again, the editing process will make this all so much smoother. No, 73.5. Oh, well, um, obviously this is a conspiracy uh, against me. So, uh... <laughs> But we both use calculators. It's obviously <laughs> like we, we misread one of them. Yeah. Anyway, so... Okay, 73.5 for uh for sunrise. For Again, a, for a grade of 52.5. For a grade of 52.5. Uh I, I I would write to Murno in red pen at the top of his uh, movie, see me after class. Yeah, you know what it is? It's like when you take a test and totally skip one of the sections. Yes, you do brilliantly <laughs> on a couple sections but then you completely forget to fill in uh important things like realistic character development and more equal generals. <laughs> so um, I, again, though, I, I do highly recommend it. Even if you're not going to love it, it's if you want something to debate about, to think about, to maybe mm -hmm. not feel sure about, I would definitely watch sunrise. Yeah, definitely check it out. Oh, are we going to give it an award though? Oh, are we? Are we going to give it a nomination for the bigger award for the entire year? It's just so out of place. I mean, it's just such Maybe a... Maybe that's why it had its own category. I think so. I think people, you know, back then didn't know what to do with it. I think they recognized, well, this is something special, but in a good way or a bad way. And I still feel like that hasn't really been answered. I'd, I think we have to invent a special movie award category for this yeah like an so, honorary movie award for this i think you're right i'm gonna say it's not gonna join the rest of the movie award party movie awards nominees but maybe for uh for unique artistic film or exactly what it <laughs> what it won historically <laughs> is absolutely accurate it had a lifetime achievement of of almost overcoming a terrible script. Uh, not a terrible script. We've been going on 
anon about how terrible it was. It just needed. It wasn't Phantom Menace bad. No, it was just. It was just bizarre. It bizarre. That is a perfect word for it. It's a bizarre movie, and I mean that in the best ways and the worst ways. I just it was bizarre, and yeah, if you were to sum it up in one word, bizarre. Yes, great art film. Great art film. If you're gonna if you're gonna make movies, watch it for sure. I mean, and yet it doesn't really. I mean, it's surreal, but. What's what doesn't work for me is that yet he tries to ground it in a simple human story. And I feel like that was a bit arrogant of him in a way. Maybe a little. Maybe a little. The simple human story of murder. Of murder with uh, crazy superimposed Charleston's going on. And uh, of course, what really grounds it is the heart of the movie, the pig chase. Chase. Okay. well, I guess that's it for Sunrise. Yep. That's our episode. Again, we don't know actually when this will be released in terms of order. We've yeah, we're kind of loosey goosey here with yeah. We we jumped the gun a little bit and recorded Wings first. Yeah, and then when we went back to listen to the introductory episode, we realized oh, we said we were just going to do the nominees first. So who knows? This will be a this will be a surprise for us as it is for you. This will be the either the first movie episodes you've listened to or the second. But either way, um, if you like the podcast. Uh, go ahead and share it with people. Please do. Your your other movie fan yeah. friends. Hopefully you know a few. Any weirdos out there. And uh, once again, what was our sign off? Oh, um, yeah. Slip, I'll... slop, slippity do. Here comes the pig. Woo! Later. Later. Later.